everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub. Very interesting conversation as we continue on our theme of factory hardware reinvented. If you guys had somehow managed to miss the last couple of weeks, David Nichols kicked off on episode 127. And then we had Bill and Chuck on last week talking about all-in-ones from Horner Automation. Shout out to you guys, our sponsors for this month. You guys should absolutely go ahead and check back. Both of those conversations were amazing. No pressure, Davide. We'll go introduce you in a second. I feel like I should have said no pressure before that. But we have had a couple of great conversations. Excited for the second half of this theme as we continue as we continue on. If you guys are listeners, longtime listeners, longtime watchers, welcome back. If you're new here, welcome. I will let everyone know next Thursday, August 31st, Vlad and I have got a special live build going on. We'll be sure to go ahead and link that into all of our live chats so you guys can go ahead make sure you register for the event that we're putting on with Siemens I'm very excited about it Vlad is about the same as we get to to write before any of these projects wondering Dave how did you rope me into this this sort of thing once again which means we are right on track for where we need to be to put on a great show next week where we go pull some hardware together go pull in some interesting software platforms and hopefully give everyone a bit more of an idea of what can be done in 90 minutes, which is, which again, excites me a lot. Again, I want to shout out and thank Horner Automation Solutions Group for sponsoring this. And I'd like to officially welcome everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy down here is Vlad. And I would like to welcome our very special guest, Davide Pascucci of Bright IoT onto Manufacturing Hub. Davide, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, guys, and it's a pleasure and an honor to to be a guest of your show, and thank you again. Awesome. Thank you so much for, uh, again, joining us today. I think it's going to be a really good conversation. That being said, before we dive into maybe more of a technical discussion, mm-hmm. could you give us a bit of a background? How did you get into industrial automation? What was your career like? And ultimately, how did you get to starting your company, and what are you guys doing today? Sure thing. Yeah. So as maybe you guys know me and I'm from Italy, right? My career started basically in the oil and gas. I first bachelor in anything. I have a, what could compare like an associate degree here in the U.S. And so I start working with this EPC contractor in the, and mainly where like works in the Middle East or North Africa. And my, my job was basically in the like engineering team dedicated in the automation and, and instrumentation. So we were developing data sheets, documentation, PNIDs, and, and also we were like interfacing with the OEM suppliers and interfacing of course with the other departments. So that's where I started. I worked there in that market with different companies since I left Italy, basically. So I worked for about 10 years and then, and then I came to the U S in 2013. And, and of course I had some bump roads to get like my green cards and all of that. And then I did like a variety of works before I, I was aiming for Houston. Texas, because I said, from my experience, Houston is huge on oil and gas. So that's what I, my background there. I, and then I found this company and then when they asked me while they were interviewing me, they said, Hey, we have like this, what would you work doing back in your country? Or we have this division that does like PLC integration and all of that. I said, it's interesting. Can we start like 50, 50 maybe? 
And then instead, I, I ends up like going 100% to the PLC group. And that's where I started on hands-on programming and all of that going in the field. And that was back in 2014. And, mm -hmm. and then I did, of course, oil and gas traveling, mostly here in West Texas. And then, and then in 2018, I received another opportunity to come up here in the DFW. I took it and I moved up here. And then from there, I work with this company and I'm still in good relationship with them. But my interest has switched to, to the manufacturing, as I've seen a lot of surging. You can tell robotics, visions, ocean side of the manufacturing. Everything was like super interesting to me. While the other stuff that I've done for years, I said, this is boring. So then I, I start studying and turning and I ask myself, how much of an effort I need to make to make this switch. And, and then by the time I was thinking about that, I took another opportunity and was more, more toward manufacturing. But my struggle was like with this company that I had my ideas and I was sharing my ideas and they were basically almost never applied. Right. So I said, you know what? I said, if I have this idea good or bad or that they are, let me give a try. Let me try by mm -hmm. myself. And that's what I thought. And then, so as I was like putting together, reading about business and I got like this opportunity as, as a consultant, basically. So this company had like a need of one guy that was Italian basically, and that he was like good with Alan Bradley. Because they had, during COVID, they had this plant in Italy that they were trying to commission. And so they were like a lot, there was, there was a lot of miscommunication from here. They were sending like, like the, basically the command, they do this, do that. And the guy on the other side, they couldn't like really get it. So I did a couple of hours per week, pretty much like a translator, technical translator, let's say, but we were able like to accomplish the task and commission this plan. Then later on and. The same guy from here, he called me, Hey, I got this opportunity. Do you want to come to our plant here in the U S and take a look at a sure thing? And then I said, this is my like opportunity. And then at the end, he showed me the plant. I asked him if he would allow me like to do with uh, my own business. He said, yeah, no problem. And then from there we win this, we won this project and it was the first working of course on the side, a lot of hours uh, until we got to the point where I got basically, I was by myself still and the time of commissioning. And then I went full time and that was back in 2022. And then now here we are. So that's long story short. Awesome. And I guess I've got a couple of questions for you, but I'm curious because I think many people at least reach out to me with the question of what would it look like to move to the US, North America in general? and find a job in instrumentation or ultimately PLC programming. And I'm curious to dig into your experience on that side. And I like the fact that you leveraged the oil and gas experience ultimately, but I'm assuming that the platforms may have been different. So I'm curious, what were your conversations like? What kind of maybe like interactions you would expect for someone looking to do that same shift and maybe some lessons learned from that experience? Yeah. So the jump we took, we took like me and my wife, we took a leap of faith. Of course, I was able to be here 
and get the green card because my wife is she's a US citizen that's of mm -hmm. course facilitate a lot and so that that problem was it wasn't solved like this but you require like a pile of documents like that of course it's the easiest way to get to, the, to this country and then as far as finding good jobs the language barrier for me was something that I had to learn quickly but what helped me a lot since when I came in like 2013 I came in first in Puerto Rico and there I learned Spanish and of course you go you name it everywhere but mostly Florida and Texas there are a lot of Mexican Latino people in general and they work in the construction as in the maintenance so that helped me a lot so while I was learning and get mostly get the Texan accent because it's really strong <laughs> you come in and like me I had like experience while I was working in the Middle East and I had like with Texan guy and really understand them back then and while I was learning picking up so these guys helped me out a lot because I was pretty fluent in Spanish because I lived like a year and a half in Puerto Rico before I moved to the mainland and uh, and that's where I did all my paperwork for the green card mm -hmm. etc and then I did like I said some I took like a variety I work Home Depot I work in the sales tons of things before i got to that job in in, in houston so i said wherever i pick up everything because they don't know me they don't know the background i need to prove myself i need to push harder than in everybody out there mm -hmm. to be able to get to the edge right on whatever i'm doing at some point i also applied for the navy <laughs> i got that close okay. and then this opportunity in houston but every path I was looking or when you start like figuring out like a new country, how it works. And it took me like a while, even like the economy, the house structure and everything. Yeah. No, that's a great story. And I appreciate you sharing some of the other thoughts that come up. At the end of the day, you must provide for your family. So there's no, I want to select bad options. What about on the tech side, right? So I'm assuming that again the pro the platforms are probably different i don't know if standards are different but did you have to so somehow relearn on the tech side or at least like bridge some of the gaps how was that yeah, learning curve for you uh, yes between the two countries is totally different here it's free capitalism right over there it's more like towards socialism the government control pretty much everything higher taxes everything that it's like above the normal things and the you hear like stories every day from there that like are affecting the taxes bad especially for a business owner to make it happen over there so yeah and of course i dig like deeper in the taxes like when i open my business here about this book for example this is something that i wanna you want, <laughs> i wanted to suggest this one if you have a business, this is really good. So I read that and there are a lot of tips and insights that maybe not everybody knows, but yeah, there are big differences. Really. And so I guess that brings us to starting your own company. What was that process like? So I think you've alluded to, you had a contract that started a bit like on the side and then allowed you to like dive into your company with some income. But I'm assuming you had thoughts about it's not an easy step for anyone to take. Like, how did you like prepare or think about it? And again, like any lessons learned, maybe. 
Yeah, the idea was you know, always in my mind for pops up and I said, I don't know where it's going to bring me, but, and I didn't think about taking that opportunity and turn to what I turn. It's just like, for me, I'm a man of faith. I pray always God help me and let me take advantage at maximum this opportunity. And that's what I did. I always say, hey, I have to do the best job I could in every situation and then see what happened. Right. And then, like I said, before this came up, like it between four or five months of like ingesting tons of like videos between videos and books, how to set up, how the best way. And then, like I said, this happened one after the other one. And then I said, let's do it. But of course. On this, like six months, let's say six, seven months before I went full blown, let's say it gave me time, like to understand better. And it gave me like that security, I would say for say, Hey, yeah, I still have an income while I'm doing this, I'm receiving some extra money and then let's put aside because of course I know that sooner or later it was going to happen like that. I had to do the big like step, let's say. But for me, to be honest, people say hey, it's hard. For me, I don't know. It just came natural. I don't know if I was like prepared. I don't know. I know only that I ingested the tons of information and uh, before I did this step. And I don't know. It just came. And then in the meantime, while I was working for this project, I was able like to tile a little bit other customers. So it gave me like that security that hey i'm not putting all my money in just that bucket right or my efforts right? if this goes down at least i have a couple of them that they keep me up while i'm pushing and building and doing what i have to do for the company good dave what are your thoughts <clears throat> yeah one tamir bobby cole's comment your story is very much the, the american dream right the coming over and having not nearly as much language knowledge and absolutely yeah. no idea understand a Texan accent exactly. up to running your own business. So first, I think Bobby and everyone would like to commend you for that. I do have a question, right? So you start, you talked about some of the early opportunities were working with an Italian company who was coming to go and install and do work in Puerto Rico. Do you see a lot of Italian companies going and, and moving their product, be it equipment builds or other things over to the U.S.? Do you see many of those and lots of opportunity to bring those products and services to the U.S.? So th there are certainly are. And uh, for example, now I'm going to attend Pack Expo and uh, went through mm -hmm. and they have actually like a section for the Italian manufacturer. And it's pretty big, I would say. We are historically strong on building like different types of food and the text, how do you say it? the textile, but I don't know all of them. Like the background is strong and a lot of the, even in the wood industry, the boards, there is a company that is pretty huge. It's close to where I was born. It's called BS here in the U S initially. So that's a huge one. And they built like this machine, like to cut like this, like board or, or compressed wood, the one that you use for the kitchens, things like that. And so mentioning that, so on my last trip in Italy, I had a chance to, uh, to meet this company that is an automation OEM. So focus in the motions 
And uh, so the company is called CMZ and we got in touch by case again. So I went to a customer and uh, to do something. And after I finished, he said, look, I have, uh, you're from Italy. I have this Italian machine. He opens the door. I never seen like this company. I don't know them. I said, let me investigate. And then I, I looked at their website and then I got in touch with them. And then I had the chance, like I said, to go and visit their facility. Beautiful to see like that side on how you built like the, the hardware and tied together with the software. So they, they built PLC and, and the servos and motors course and mainly and they they are based in codices everything is in codices okay so there are companies that they are willing yet to move and show their products over here and there are already like companies that actually are doing a lot of work here interesting absolutely i think that it's always interesting to have the conversations of different people and their perspectives from different countries bringing and trying to move those products into the U.S. or into Europe or vice versa. I think that th those are always very interesting stories. Vlad shared a, a company he's done some work with in Italy. Yeah. I know he's talked about, I know he's talked about that. I've done some work with a couple of Italian companies in the past, bringing the machines into the U.S. manufacturer. So there, there is certainly a lot of industrial base and a lot of industrial opportunity in Italy. I'd like to go transition that away a little bit into talking about some of the factory hardware stuff. And I want to talk about IOT and you named your company Bright IOT. And to me, that immediately says you think IIoT is the future, at least some part of the future. Can you tell us from your perspective, how you think that IOT is going to change how we've historically done implementations and, and will do them in the future? Yeah, sure. I named my company, like uh, I thought first, I said, everybody is automation or control X, Y, Z. I wanted to give like something different, right? So, and to my perspective, like high IoT is my goal ultimately for the company is implementing like a deploying in like this application, like between traditional controls and robotics and then data collection and have this system synced all together where we can sharing like data across the board and elaborate on top of this data, then plus we can send this data to an higher level. That's like the big pictures that I have like imagined for, uh, for my company. AOT, it's like a spread, like, like scenario where you can start, of course, with the sensors and, and then go up, like I said, to, to a higher level and communicate up to the corporate structure. Right. So yeah, that's generally speaking what it's what is my idea about iot i definitely agree that there's a lot of opportunity i think in tying all of those systems together i think that currently at least again in my experience they're a bit disjointed right and there's obviously some communication happening but we're not collecting yes. nearly as much data as we could especially i would say even like on the robotic side i like that you brought robotics into that as well but i think we can siphon out the data from PLCs, but we don't always understand like robotics applications, at least from the customers that I've worked with. Yeah. And same on the vision systems too, right? Yes. The robotics, for example, we have discussed with different OEMs we work with. And so where you can start like is the lifetime of the axis, right? The servo motors right there. Mm -hmm. You can extract tons of data that 
these devices are giving to you. So that's a starting point for the robotics. And then on the vision system, I don't know where you can start, but even there, there should be like, like maybe, you know, the lens or very fine that holds like the electronics, the lens is in good shape is still like giving you like quality images and uh, yeah. I think like even on the vision side, right? Like even, so I've seen where you would log, let's say pass or fails from a camera, because that's usually what's sent to the PLC on a base level. But I've rarely seen a system that logs, let's say like measurements. And again, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've worked with those applications, but I think there's interesting, I want to say data that you can collect to optimize them, to make them better. I've seen again, where you store a bunch of those images on a hard drive, and then you can go back and manually reinspect and see if you can make adjustments. But I've not seen where there's like a closed loop where it makes changes to itself almost. I think that's going to be... There is. So for example, with one of the, these OEMs, they developed this. They have a simulation platform where you can actually run what you program and then you can make like the adjustment. But again, it, it is a closed loop and then you can reload like the information to the camera. And that's one option that can be done. So I think they are going like as more as we go toward this, for example, vision, it's, I think the most developed, in other words, where AI is most like applied, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, for example, adjustment real time on some of this vision system, they're happening. I don't know if I, I can do the, I can mention the name, but I've seen the automation show this, this OEM that basically has got like this smart, like peaking beam peaking where, yeah. you know, it turns like the robot to where it sees like which one is the best like parts to, to pick and where to pick it's correcting like real time. Instead, other ones is you build this model, test it, and then you can see like on your screen without even, it's just a simulator and then make the adjustment and push back your correction. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I guess my general thought when it comes to like software versus hardware, when we were even like discussing this, this theme, I think like in my mind, a lot of times hardware is just following the software, right? So we need to run better applications. We want to be able to distribute them versus via like different protocols. So we need to integrate the right chipsets. But I think it's not true. The more I thought about it, it's not always the case, right? So one example that Dave and I talked about a lot was universal IO. I think the yeah. other example we talked about, there's a lot of research done in robotics, right? Like with the flexible robotics or like robotics that are I want to say different than what's currently on the market. I'm wondering if you have any interesting maybe thoughts or cases where hardware is making some advancements or making maybe some projects for you possible over it being just here's like a more powerful industrial computer per se. Um, to be honest, I don't think you had ever get through like this type of application where, you know, yeah, there are certainly, I would say more robust hardware in the mm -hmm. fact that maybe for industrial applica application, we use like fanless, like uh, IPC. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think it's, it's like with closed eyes, I at least go that way. Like even the enclosures, but mostly it's the ro robustness of the hardware itself, not like on the PCB board, the chip side. That one, yeah. So of course, if you see, you load like a tons of things on the same like device and then definitely you need like more cores uh, yep. to handle like that. Right. But 
yeah, it's all, it always depends on the application, right? If you run like one application and then, yeah, then some like little software, yeah, a basic computer is fine. But then let's say there are like talks where, you know, again, these OEMs want to put like this IPC with the capabilities of like universal IOs and like spin, like for example, codices, right? And then on on the same like device, maybe on a, on a different image, right. And spin the division, right. Like software and type the camera. So that's, I think it could be like an application for the future instead of like having these separate entities. Right. And as we progress with the power of this unit, we, I think it can be like soon, like released that maybe it's feasible right now. If you get I think I definitely agree with you, David. I think like Caleb is also adding a good point, right? So I think on the protocol and networking side too, since we're, as you've mentioned earlier, trying to pull all the data, we're trying to collect more information from the plant floor. So it's important to be able to handle that traffic, right? And again, I think like a lot goes into the networking layer and I'm certainly not familiar with all the nuances. Uh, but as yeah. you even start passing those like images from vision systems, you can pretty quickly run into some bottleneck. And uh, yeah, issues. because uh, you're right. Because on the on on a ideal scenario, you would spend like the networks as well, right? But in the reality, you need to rely on the customers a lot of at mm -hmm. least for our experience, right? So you go there, mm -hmm. we got this network, this island, whatever. You have to work with that. And, and that's where this edge devices, hey, right. And maybe like you, you sort it out, you elaborate, you send like just what is needed, not to clog the network in other words. But yeah, if you, ideally speaking, if you can build like the infrastructure, which is rare and especially when you work on existing stuff and yep. then, yeah. So those devices are come really like helpful. I, if I may interrupt briefly, I think I'd like to make the counterpoint of hardware is holding back software. I think, right. especially when we look at consumer electronics, I think there are lots of instances in which we could write better software. We could write more powerful software if we had more computing capability, if we were able to go cool something off quickly, if we were able to move from a hundred watt to a 200 watt power brick. We could run mm -hmm. more power through everything. We, we could go cool it off. We could run more computing power through it. I think especially lots of times in the industrial space, hardware pushes software to go optimize itself because we need hardware that's going to, in most cases, five years is not long enough of a lifetime. As Vlad and I have talked about over and over again, in lots of cases, people are expecting 10 or 20 or 30 years of lifetime out of many of these devices. And if we move into we'll go upgrade the hardware whenever we possibly can to keep up with the software, then we're going to get on the, hey, we've got to go upgrade at the same speed that we go upgrade phones or laptops or headphones or any of those things. And as much as we as practitioners and technicians would love to be able to go in and rotate factory hardware every five years or thereabouts, I don't yeah. think that's a particularly realistic solution. What I do think to go back to the IIoT comment is that IIoT allows us to, for a relatively insignificant amount of money, go test and deploy something. So instead of having to go expand a hardware network and run power to places that we haven't had power, we can 
take some wireless controllers and we can take some wireless sensors, we can go for a couple or a few thousand dollars, go deploy sensors in places that they haven't been deployed before. And if we don't have the smarts, we can go play around with a smart controller and we can go pull it all the way back to that location and go try out a different IIoT style of solution. Yeah, on the wireless, it depends on the industry, I would say, because in the manufacturing, when you start deploying like sensor, you need speed. And then I have an example with one of my customers that they deployed like wireless devices and it's complete claustrophobic. They're losing like, like productivity data. Yeah. They are complaining a lot and they show me like, I thought wireless, I know like different brands, they made again, industrial like devices. And then when they show me instead, it was like a clear enclosure with a PC board in there, really cheap. I said, that's why maybe you're having problem first wireless. I. Not really suggest if you need to count high-speed production, uh, no, you go straight wired. If it's like an analogs, like you're measuring flow rates and I've done like tons of that in the oil and gas, it's, you don't need like the data, like immediately. Yeah. I'm making that every, like pulling every five seconds. I'm fine. Pretty much manufacturing. It's totally different animal, but yeah, you're right. And we have done, I said. It doesn't need to be complicated. You pick twice, you put them in the right spot, write a little bit of codes, and then there you have like your like OE, like just right away. And we're done using like the customer network and we push like all this information up to the corporate on existing machines. Yeah. I would agree with the wireless point. I think like I've seen some like specific use cases where I think it makes sense. One of which was like rotating drums. So getting usually cables, obviously you can do it with very specific hardware, but it becomes complicated the more signals you have. So I think yeah. wireless communication to a drum is fine. Then you just bring yeah. in power, but otherwise in at least like a production setting, it's difficult to justify. And again, I've not monitored the wireless traffic, but I could see how it, it starts to become a problem if you add way or like too much of it. So. Yeah, I have, like I said, this particular example of this customer that they are having tons of issues, right? But I think when people go to wireless, it's like, hey, I have this existing equipment, right? So I want to tie these new devices to monitor but I don't want to like spend the money on the electrical parts. And that's where maybe MyoLink and M connectors come to play. You say, okay, you don't want to pull wires. There you go. A couple of clips, we can tie like the devices like, with brackets and then run like this pre-made cable back to the controller or to the IOLink master. And that's where we have done that too. And that's where the easiest, like, again, you buy everything, you come in and put together in, let's say a couple of minutes and you have this device coming in. You say, Hey, I need to pull the wire from here where I have gone, I had to, I had to put conduits and you name it. I've, I've used similar applications before, especially for tank farms, like in food and beverage, if we're holding or storing things to be able to confirm that we do have the quantity or volume of what we think we've got it in. And then I've got a couple of applications that I've used at a refinery for basically similar things. So instead of having to go 
look at 500 sight gauges every day or hopefully every shift and mm-hmm. someone go walk that and mark it down on a piece of paper and then find the piece of paper you can go leverage you know, wireless sensors and then on a single application we have now I don't, we've almost replaced one full-time employee equivalent of going and walking 500 tanks once or three times a day. No, the tanks is per- perfect for the, those wireless applications. Absolutely. I've done a lot, like, again, in the oil and gas, like you mentioned, refineries, tank farms. It's basically, if not all of them, a lot are wireless. Like, yes. Because, again, it's an analog. It's not, hey, I need to check like this like productivity or the encoder, like things that are fast. And that's where, hey, you better go like with wired. Absolutely. I think that this is a good time to take a brief pause before Vlad gets to ask the next question. We want to thank our sponsors at Horner Automation for sponsoring the factory hardware redefined episode. And we're going to go learn a little bit more about them. Horner Automation is a division of Horner Electric. Horner Electric can trace its roots back to 1949 when George and Mary Horner started their small family-run business, which is now a large, thriving family-run business. Horner Automation has been in operation for over 35 years and is headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. Horner designs, builds, and markets a wide array of industrial all-in-one controllers, consisting of programmable control, HMI, I.O., and networking, along with software and peripherals. Many of our automation products are manufactured and assembled in the USA. At Horner, we support our partners, distributors, and customers by providing quarterly factory training on our products and software, as well as an extensive YouTube presence of videos that include software and hardware tips, training, industry solutions, trade show clips, new product releases, and much more. Horner strives to provide value-added solutions for our customers. We have availability, an option for every budget, and incredible support and resources to help your project run smoothly. Everywhere you look, Horner Automation Controllers are there. Awesome. And again, thank you for Horner for sponsoring this theme. And thank you for Chuck for doing that nice voiceover. If you guys have missed the last, I don't know, 100 or so episodes of me doing the ad read, feel free to go drop in the comments if you like the Chuck or someone else going and doing that. And we may go ahead and give my voice an extra 90 seconds of break during every episode. But no, thank you guys for sponsoring this theme. I will say if you guys did not catch last week with Bill and Chuck, episode 129 on Manufacturing Hub, should absolutely go ahead and check that out. We talked a bunch about all-in-ones and applications and a bunch of absolutely wild applications. But back to Vlad, what were you going to go ask? I was going to, I guess, make the comment and finalize that with a question, which is I think we're at somewhat of a crossroads when it comes to protocols. And what I mean by that is we've talked a little bit about now we have MQT, we have OPC UA. I think they're now like almost expected to be on hardware. And the same goes for your field devices. If you want to connect to them, there's now more and more protocols, I feel. And we mentioned like you can have a hub to connect to them. And I almost wish that we would standardize. And I know it's very difficult to do. In my mind, I think Ethernet solved a lot of problems we had with some older type of protocols, primarily on the Allen Bradley side, right? Like control net, device net. I think all of that is has been made to some extent obsolete. But again, like now we have protocols that can pull data from the sensors. You can swap out sensors. I think it still would have been possible with an RJ45 to like an M12 connector, and then you assign an IP address to every sensor. For some reason, we didn't go that route. But in any case, like I'm curious, how do you see 
again, like all these protocols merged into, is every device going to be now incorporating pretty much like everything? Do you think will converge maybe to like hardware that's standardized on something? Again, my thought was switches and networks have already been figured out. Ethernet is great. It could be a variation of Ethernet packets like other vendors have defined, but ultimately I like those networks, but for whatever reason, we're introducing more and more stuff on it now. What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, I'm 100% with you. I think we didn't change a bit, to be honest. Going back, starting with the blue holes and device net, control net. Now we have still yeah, Ethernet, Profinet, EtherCAD, can open, you name yep. it, right? So we are still there, right? So we thought, hey, yes, you're right. So we got this all the switches and taking advantage of the IT world and toward our world and say, okay, now it's time to unify. No, <laughs> it's of course, like right here, we use a lot of Alan Bradley stuff, right? So uh, Ethernet mm -hmm. IP is the most famous, but, and then they did also a great work, like partners, partnering with all of this, you scale, name it, right? So that you bring in EDS file, right? And it's kind of similar with the Siemens, right? And especially with the product from Europe, right? So they did pretty much very similar in job, right? But yeah, and then this other protocol for what I heard, even on the hardware and developing side on, on the OEM, it's first is cheaper, like EtherCAT and CanOpen, they're cheaper uh, to integrate and like on their devices and then to develop the software behind it. Uh, yeah. And then EtherCAT, the advantage is that is extremely fast. So I think there are like applications where, you know, if you need, for example, in motion controls where you need like a deterministic like approach, I think EtherCAT, it's really a really good option. Not that the other doesn't work, but I think if you need like a really narrow the precision, EtherCAT would be, I think, the best out there. And then all of these companies that use EtherCAT, they also have usually have the conversion back to Ethernet IP, right? So you have this kind of isolation between the motion net network, which is great. You don't want anything to interfere, right? With those type of devices, if you can. And then on the other side, you can exchange like information with the outside world, right? I think like this OEM will still stick with their like protocols. Yeah. My, my hope is if they could unify, it would make like our life easier, of course. But I, don't, I, I think it, it will stay utopic, probably. <laughs> And I think it's one of those scenarios, I can't remember like the exact image, but it was a comment where we have so many protocols, let's make one to kind of rule them all. And now there's one extra protocol that is now only the mix, right? And for me, it's, it's like IO-Link. IO-Link I think is great, right? I think what we can do with IO-Link makes a lot of sense. But I also think that, again, we could have done the same thing using like an Ethernet hub and being able to like directly communicate over four wire to a field sensor. And again, maybe there's some nuances. I've not tested the limits of what it would take on the speed side, but it's, I still see like more protocols now than maybe a couple of years ago, even yeah. though we're trying to consolidate. No, yeah, I agree hundred percent with you. IOLink is great, but most of the time, like the information you can extract, most of the time you don't use them. It, it, to me, like for the information he has, seems like it's comparable to the heart. 
if you compare like all like the information that you can get from harped instrument iolink is similar on that type of information and inputs you can get from a device that is an iolink device most of the time like you say you plug in a sensor and yeah i need maybe that is measuring the temperature over there i need just the you know it's like a binary sensor on and off and that's about it right then i'm not gonna go and usually take a look like how much volt voltage is rolling that's mostly like when we play with the drives you're gonna take a look and see okay how much current rpms you name it right so it's mostly on on the sensor yeah it could happen that you need to monitor particular information but usually it's you use a hey, i plug in this sensor because i need the temperature to measure the temperature on that motor right yeah and my thought was again we would see like i said we already have this for let's say vfds right like they send us data and allow us to change parameters I thought like the same as the cost of obviously the chipsets decreases, which again is a whole like question mark with the supply chain, but ultimately you could add those same chips in sensors, be able to plug in over ethernet. And again, power over ethernet also is a question in my mind. I don't think it's maybe the right approach, but it could be used to have a single cable going to that sensor and be able to draw the power. And again, obviously I understand it depends on the sensor, it depends on the field device yeah. if there's nuances yeah. there but yeah no, Dave, what are your I, thoughts on the, all of this sorry we're like going I, on this like rabbit hole i feel <laughs> no no i like it i'm really enjoying all of caleb's comments in, in here and honestly caleb i think of anyone we've ever had on is probably by far the person who has worked on io link the most again i've said it before on this show i'll say it again i consider io link like the, the most base level of communications of protocols we're not going to go replace a bunch of other protocols i think caleb has mentioned in my posts before that he thinks we should get rid of all io and just go smart sensors into into a variety of different buses like io link buses which is interesting i, I think it would take a while to to get there i think that it is possible i think it is possible to do but as i look at it I think that we look at the concept of, in theory, a smart sensor, like an IO link sensor that we can plug into a standard bus and we can go and we can go if we want to get level, if we want to get any of the very basic things, we can go get that from the sensor. Or if we want to go pull back more information from the sensor, we can also go and get more information from the sensor. And that's all user configurable. And I think that is the real value when it comes to something like IO link is to give us that information. And then we don't have to worry about, I don't know, 20 different varieties of a very similar, dumb, non-IO link sensor that we've got to make sure that we program by pressing the correct number of buttons at the same time. And then we go plug it in and we go plug it into the IO. And if we do not get the signals that we're seeing, we scratch our head and we wonder if something got pinched or we wonder if we've got to go check the connections. I think that it, re it removes and reduces a lot of the ambiguity. And as to Vlad's point that the chipsets come down, I think that there are huge opportunities to go just create a bunch of smart sensors, to go create a bunch of smart sensors. Or if you're like James, James is going to go make his own, his own protocol that he thinks is going to be the best ever. And we're very excited to, we're very excited to, to see what that protocol looks like. James, you and Vlad are going to have to arm wrestle the next time we're all together as to seeing who can become who gets to become 
the the person with the one protocol to to rule them all. Then we'll get a little ring and engrave some names on it on the inside, a la Lord of the Rings, which only feels which only feels appropriate. But no, I love these conversations. I love the conversations with Power over Ethernet, and then Caleb was bringing up uh, IO Link over single pair Ethernet, which I don't think I've seen, at least certainly not in the field. But I think that is certainly interesting, especially because I think single pair Ethernet can do, now do something like a thousand feet of run, uh, of continuous run, which could very much open up a bunch of a lot of these wireless items. But Davide, I would like to come back to you. We've talked about a bunch of different things. I wanted to know from your side, do you have any interesting stories either of work that you guys have done or do you have any interesting stories and opportunities that you've come back from Automate or some of these other shows of what you think the future of the factory hardware is going to look like? Yeah, so to connect to your point, like this BioLink, I, what I've seen at Automate is like this OEMs are going to the remotization of the devices using this again M connectors, your link style. And basically the goal is getting read like of the enclosure in some instances. And then, and then they are building like this IP69K like servo, servo drives. And also I think they some they have like even PLC like that. And that's like what I've seen, like even the tendency, like different of this they built like these devices that are washed down. You can stab these devices on the side of your equipment like again iolink master and uh, yeah so that's the point yeah that uh, what i've seen like on the hardware side experience for us it's still it's still where we see like tons of traditional automation and again introduction of this iolink yes there are for sure and uh, and uh, but yeah still we are still like doing what we have done years ago, of course, introducing like this new technologies. And, and then on the AI side, I said on the vision system, that's where we are most advanced. And we are start seeing like more of this application that as we discussed, they, they adjust to, to themselves and really curious where we, we are going to get with it. But I think for our industry, it's all good for what we're going to see in the future. But until then, like we are still playing with the regular PLC and all the stuff that we are using nowadays, right? Absolutely. No, I agree. I think that it, I think that it will be very interesting, but Vlad, we have an unusual moment where we've got time for you to ask at least one more question before we, before we give Davide the rapid fire questions at the end. So what is currently on your mind? What are you thinking about? I guess I was responding to James who made a comment in the comment section, which is interesting, right? So he's saying, what do you think about managing firmware updates on smart devices? That feels like a future nightmare from a security perspective. At some point, vendors need to end of life their support and sensors have a very long expected useful life. And I don't yeah. know, I, I think like in the current landscape, there's zero chance that there's a scenario where you have a device that's always connected to let's call it like vendor services and they can at any time wow. just push an update. I just think that would disrupt operations way too much. And the only way that would work is if you could like schedule timeframes. But even then, I think it, it's very difficult to maintain that that capacity. And I, I don't know, David, if you have some thoughts 
again, I'm thinking that he's asking in the same sense that I guess the first example that comes to mind is like Tesla's to receive updates over the air because they have that, let's say, like wireless network connectivity. But same goes for right. your phone, right? Like you get a notification or there's the new firmware and you can either accept it or schedule it, let's say, like during the night and whatnot. I don't know. I really don't see how that's going to be possible in manufacturing. I think that's going to be super invasive. Yeah, if it's like plant floor, yeah, forget about it. If it's like an application that is monitoring, yes, I would say it can go down and it, it always depends. But it, that probably could be like like a better example where, you know, hey, I need to update my firmware. We're going to go down like yeah. kind of IT, but on the, uh, yeah, on the plant floor, in, no, forget about it. If you're going to mention... Yeah, we are gonna. We need to stay down, like, and bring the hour. Yeah, yeah. When yeah, if we when we have a downtime, yes, you you can do it. And I actually there was a company that it was like a PLC OEM that went bankruptcy. That we I had to work like years ago, and uh, they had this firmware upgrade that brought down multiple times mm -hmm. because their software wasn't good enough so, and, um, and then they had to push this upgrades the firmers and of course the customer was pretty upset <laughs> but and then they but went, it's actually uh, i was gonna yeah. say i think like not the more i think about it the more i think that there is an opportunity there right because i think we've all spent a lot of time flashing firmware and then validating that everything is good right so maybe there is or i guess again Maybe there's better software tools that can deploy that and then be able to validate it to make sure there's like some tests are run against the device. And then you can go back to the previous version if something fails, for example. And again, I think it would take someone good at the firmware level to build, but I guess there is a pain point, right? There's a, I guess like an automation pain point where we start flashing one by one and that takes however many days and there's a lot of yeah. time spent. Yeah, so I'm going to... I'm going to jump in j just for a second because James followed up. He had a slightly different take on it, which was more my thought of the way that he was going. Caleb has some good comments in here about how we can go do that and that it's a solved problem. But James's point is that he's thinking it's more of a smart device sensors will run some Linux kernel and that it will potentially have future vulnerabilities that need patching, not that they need mm -hmm. to be connected to the vendor. At some point, the vendors won't support the smart sensors won't support the smart sensors and devices any longer. And I think that that is a good and interesting point, right? So if, uh, in my mind in the future, IoT is either going to be software as a service, which everyone here has lived through the pains of groups don't want to go pay for everything as software as a service. So in theory, you could go buy the hardware like a number of vendors have, Maybe you pay for some sort of management on top of that. Maybe you don't pay for some sort of management on top of that. But at some point, Linux kernels will have to be updated. At some point, something will have to be updated and it's the end of the usable life. So let's say we install something today and four years from now, the software vendor end of life it for maybe because there's an issue, maybe because there's a vulnerability or maybe because it's time to go buy the next one. And we all know that if it's not broken, we're not going to go buy the next smart sensor and smart solution. So what happens at that point? What will happen when we see a variety of groups run and continue to run 
past end of life sensors and solutions that have Linux and other kernel vulnerabilities and attack vectors and all of those things. And what happens at that point? Yeah, that, that question, but I think yeah. sensors, they need to be as simple as they are right now, in my opinion. You need to keep things simple and simplified instead of over like complicated, like the process where you need to be to have. Yes, I agree. Sensor. It would be, yeah. Talking about IOLink, yeah, I can extract, I can diagnose, I can do like different things, but still remain like basically a sensor, right? So I don't think we have to overcomplicate like the stuff where, or devices where it's not needed. So that's what my point, but the firmware upgrade, I can say, yes, if it's something that we know is critical, it's disrupting, it's dropping, it's faulting like the device. Yes, but I don't think we need to pass. We don't need to be like IT guys where, okay, I'm going to push this, like you said, across the board and I'm going to upgrade this firmware and it's going to take like X amount of time. And then they're going to throw it through the network. It's going to clog the network again. I don't think it's something like, at least I don't see it. I might be wrong, but I don't see it like uh, happening like that. The only way I see this working, right, to James's point, and I think the, the point still goes back to my comment earlier, which is you would probably sell these sensors on a subscription-based rate, right? And again, I don't know what the math would be, but let's say you have a, a proc sensor. It's going to be like $2 a month to run. You need to commit to a minimum of 12 months. And then whoever the vendor is would manage the firmware and make sure that sensor operates and then sends, let's say, that data to a hub on which you then have, again, like it could be Linux, it could be whatever IDE that then does the control, if you want to say using that sensor, but they would need to be on the hook to maintain its functionality, right? Like to a certain, you would have an SLA agreement of 99.99 availability. You'd be able to schedule when the upgrades or deployments are going to take place. And ultimately, because you are paying on a monthly basis, Again, it keeps them on the hook to support that versus if you pay today, then obviously there's not a whole lot keeping them in five years to just say, oh, we've released sensor version two, version three, and sensor one is no longer supported, right? Like, I think it needs to make sense on both ends in order for this to work. But I think it's going to take some time. And I think there's a lot of complexity there. And I think there's a lot of also, who owns the data at that point and who manages the data? There's a lot of questions there, in my opinion. There is. I thank you to especially Caleb and James in the comments for continuing to help drive that conversation. That is, this is certainly a conversation that is, is a thing in of itself. And I think best case scenario, we're making guesses as to what the future looks like. But this is absolutely the reason why we have these conversations on Manufacturing Hub. Thank you guys for that. Um, Davide, you know that we're going to put you on the spot. I know we've been talking a bunch about the future and what you think the future looks like for the last 10 or 15 minutes, in part thanks to James and Caleb. But from your side, what do you think that the future of factory hardware and automation looks like in the next three to five years? Like I mentioned earlier, I think we are going to need like more computing power as we develop and integrate this machine learning and AI. Certainly we need more power at the edge, especially for fast reaction. 
of course we can deploy application in the cloud but then it's not always feasible right so i think yeah we are gonna see that we are gonna maybe like i mentioned see like this remotization as they are seen like hardwares but but then and uh, yeah robots like an assembly actually like that are interacting with like traditional robots since we like from like the let's say hiring perspective I've, I've heard and talked with customer they are having like tons of issues on hiring like even of course qualified like technicians or operators so yeah the, there is like a need like to fill the gaps so uh, like different and custom application that we as a system integrator we need to solve most of the time uh, and to replace this lack of labor right so yep. i think that's where a lot of opportunity are popping up even right now and and of course like the, the technology seeing this tendency will follow right depending where we are going with the demand right absolutely no i think that the future will, will certainly be interesting and this is probably one of the hardest future-based questions that i could ask anyone so thank you for that davide Next question up, we'd like to ask you for a book recommendation. Do you have a book that you've have found useful and others might as well? Yeah, see, it's, I, I read a lot of business like books, like yep. personal improvement. And on my journey to open, build my company, I came through Tim Groover. I don't know if you guys know him and he was like a personal trainer for Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. So he basically was behind their success. They're pushing toward the limits. And, uh, and then he, he wrote like a couple of books. The first was like a re re relentless. That's why I put my, my t-shirt and hats too. And then this one that I read is called like winning. I suggest if you like, you want to understand how these highest achievers in different like industries, like sport, for example, and. I always look on other industries, how, you know, to improve myself and my business. Right. So if you really want to like to push like your limit and uh, explore yourself, the maximum speed and use your maximum potential, I really suggest that's what it's all about. That's there are like some parts of the books where, you know, the way explain the high achiever that wherever like variable are thrown at, at them. They they are able like to handle like the situation basically in every, wherever they are or what they are facing. Those are like the high achievers, like this big NBA champions, for example. Interesting. So yeah, that's what I suggest. No, that's awesome. I picked Thanks. it up. Appreciate L that. Like just in the last 90 seconds, you purchased the book. Yeah. Nice. And it's now, an now audible. This, I've got this, uh, now, plenty now, of credits. I was going to say, so, so for newer listeners who haven't listened for a hundred shows you may not realize that the book recommendation section came directly from this of vlad saying something like i've got extra audible credits what will i possibly buy so about a hundred episodes we started asking guests for book recommendations and this feels episode 26 all over again with some of our pre-chat in the beginning and some of the book recommendations immediately and so Awesome recommendation. Thank you for that, Davide. Thank you for keeping the dream alive, Vlad. Next question for you, Davide. We'd like to ask for some career advice. And typically we ask for some kind of early to mid-stage career advice. And if you will forgive me for going off script a little bit, 
you talked very early as to, to some of the things that you did when you decided you wanted to come over to the United States and the path you took. What would be your best suggestion or recommendation for someone else who's looking to come to the United States to do this sort of work? To do, you mean what we're like in this industry? Yes. First of all, you need to have passion. If without passion, you're not going anywhere. If it's just for you, it's okay. It's my nine to five. Yeah. I mean, it, you're going to stay average. If you want a really great results, right? So you need to work on yourself to grow like on how, again, referring to this book on how you can extract the best out of you. And, and the mindset needs to be, even when you're approaching like an employer, it needs to be like propositive. It needs, you need to be available because a lot of I interview guys and my yes or no, you like question was, Hey, you're working in the manufacturing, right? And so it happens that we work on weekends because that's where the plant stop for cleaning, for mm -hmm. like maintenance. Right. And then as soon as you mentioned Saturday, he came up with a variety of excuses. I need to go to my cousins. I, if you like approach that and you're looking for a job, right. And, or there is like an ideal job and then you create it and you build a company. But if you want to work with someone, you just have to adapt yourself. Right. So with the situation and I know like that you can give like a full hundred percent, of course, to, to this companies, but at least like the willing to learn is way, way more important, like the technical aspect, they're willing to stay there. And that mindset that I'm going to stay there until I fix the issue. That's way more important than the technical aspect. Yes. You go and do it and study. There are tons of resources. Of course, your website, Vlad, but your videos are great and that's no, no, Thank no you. and no problem. So I've watched your videos. Apart of you go YouTube, like you find tons nowadays is not like before, because when I started there, are, there were few and just in the last years that this contents, this came up more and more uh, on, on the social media than on the web. But I can think again, it's, you have to have that mindset where I'm going to learn this. I'm going to push towards my limits. If you want, again, to be like a great programmer, a great control guy. That's, I think, what it takes. Absolutely. No, I think that is some fantastic advice. Thank you for that, David. And then the last question for you is who should reach out? How can our listeners help you at Bright IIoT? Are you looking for new customers? Are you looking to hire? Are you looking to have interesting conversations? How can our listeners help you? Yes, you can, of course, we can find me LinkedIn. I'm pretty active, like between commenting and sharing, you know, what we do. Our website is brightiot.com. Mm -hmm. And then if you can, you want to meet me, I'm going to be like at the pack of weeks and I'm going to be there. And then, and then we just reserve like a booth for the next year at Automate. So and that Very one, exciting. that's what we did too. So yeah, LinkedIn, of course, it's the best place to find me or my email address is David P of course, because we discussed it about my name. <laughs> that's why I put yes. David P because of the yeah. pronunciation at writeiot.com. And yes, that, that's where you can find me. I love this. Thank you so much for joining us, Davide. And thank you. Thank you to everyone for hanging out with us today. If you made it this far on YouTube or Twitch or LinkedIn or anywhere else, please go hit that follow button for myself, 
for Davide, for Vlad, for Manufacturing Hub. Follow Bright IoT on LinkedIn and be sure to give a follow to Horner Automation, our sponsor for this month, that we again would like to thank them for that. And I will say that if you guys have made it this long on podcast format, please give us five stars. Please follow along. Every Thursday, we've got at least one episode coming out. So please make sure that you follow along. Again, I have learned that if I ask, you guys like, follow, and share along, and we continue to have more listeners every month. So as long as that happens and until we're the number one podcast in the world, I will continue to ask you guys to do that. Until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you, Davide. Thank you, everyone.